Welcome to Dare to be Legendary, a Diversa Partners podcast. Each episode, we feature conversations with some of the brightest minds in tech, including founders, executives, and investors who are entirely disrupting this generation's ecosystem. They are the ones who dare to be legendary. Hi, everybody. I'm Julie Rapp, partner at Diversa Partners. And today on the Dare to be Legendary podcast, I'm sitting down with Ross Lipson, CEO and co-founder of Dutchie. Dutchie is an all-in-one tech company that's powering the cannabis industry. Think Square meets Shopify meets DoorDash. They've got point of sale, e-commerce, payments, and more, with a mission to propel the industry forward and make cannabis safe and accessible to all consumers. So I've had the privilege of knowing Ross for four years now, and I've seen firsthand how much Dutchie has grown from its launch in 2017 to now with over 5,000 dispensary partners processing over $14 billion in cannabis sales annually and most recently raising $350 million in a Series D financing round. Watching you and your company grow over the past few years has been so exciting. I can honestly say that our weekly calls are ones that I truly look forward to. You're engaging, you bring the energy, you keep it real all the time. And I know that that must translate into how you are as a leader, who you've become, why you're able to attract and then retain such great talent. I'm ecstatic to have you on today. Thanks so much for joining me. First of all, thank you for having me. And second, I need to bring you around wherever I go to intro me. That was well said. I, I could copy paste that a million times over. You said it best. So thank you. And, and also thanks to the whole Diversa uh, team. I've, I've also, Julia, like you said, I've known you for years now. We've worked through many exercises and candidates with a lot of success. And it's just been such a fun ride. I think we've gotten so much more out of our relationship with Diversa than you know at the, what, what it shows at the surface of just talent acquisition. So I do want to extend my appreciation to you guys, to you, Julie, specifically. It's been a phenomenal journey and excited to continue on with you guys. Oh, thank you. And uh, thanks for the opportunity. So to, to jump right into it, as I said, I've had the privilege of watching you grow as a CEO and entrepreneur. Your story is incredible. I, I believe you dropped out of school. You co-founded and later sold Grub Canada all by the age of 25. And now you've moved into the cannabis space with Dutchie, running a you know just about $4 billion business, disrupting an ancient space, but one that's very ripe for disruption and you know, taking on a huge undertaking. Can you give us a quick kind of overview or highlight into what inspired you to build Dutchie? And I guess fast forward to today, what inspires you today? Why do you get out of bed every day and what keeps you going? Yeah, it's a great question. Fun to reflect on. So like you said, I started really young. Um, I, was, I went to university at Michigan State University back about 18 years ago. I'm 35 now. And it was at a time, 2004, 2005, when the internet was really in its beginnings from a consumer, consumer habit standpoint. Um, I think we were just starting to gravitate towards the internet to shape our, our daily habits, especially consumer trends, where we were buying things, listening to music, talking to friends, et cetera. And the short of my story is it started with me getting hit with a bunch of food delivery restaurant takeout menus into the door, seeing the online food ordering space, which did not exist really. It was very, it was very much in its infancy. And seeing the opportunity there and then partnering with a group of folks that had, this, had the same idea. And that's where I got my, my kind of feet under me and on the ground and started to really move into um, business and tech. And I had a knack for it. I loved it. Um, I love the pace. I love the chaos of it. Um, I love selling. I love managing people and working with, with people. And I grew to just love business, love tech, and really around like retail tech. So in this case, with restaurants. We found a lot of success, exited the business. I moved to Canada. I saw an untapped market 
nobody was doing online food ordering up there. And we launched Grub Canada in 2008. And Grub Canada was a really fun project. Um, we hit the ground running. We moved really quickly. We were first to market. We had that healthy anxiety to move fast. And we found a lot of success. We, we moved across the entire country. We really became a household name, built a great team. And then we exited the business to just eat in 2012. So at that point, I was 25 years old. I had a lot of experience in online food ordering, which really related in my world to growing businesses, working with people, managing teams, and really selling tech into um, a retail environment that's using it on a day-to-day -day basis and really depending on it. So it was, it, was, it was unique in that sense. I then moved back to the States. I was living in Canada that entire time. I'm American. I moved back to the States uh, at 25 and really wanted to take some time off. I wanted to explore who I was as a person. I was always uh, heads down, slamming the keyboard, staring at the monitors. Yes, the lamb, but was really heads down from like 17 to 25 years old. And I knew that there was more to life out there. And it was important to me to explore. Uh, so I took four years off and found myself in Bend, Oregon, a beautiful town in Central Oregon where I live now. I, I got married. I got the house. I got the dog. I did a lot of, I explored, I traveled, I ate a bunch of different food. I really learned a little bit about who I was. It was really, really, really invaluable years. And then I was itching to get back into the driver's seat. And I usually pull a piece out of like Outliers, the book by Malcolm Gladwell, which shameless plug, if you haven't read it, read it. It's amazing. And it's really in short, how I see it is about just being right person, right place, right time leads to success. Not always just the innate things we think of like, you know, very smart, hardworking. You know, there's a lot of other factors. And I feel like I was a page or chapter out of that book. I was in Oregon. I was 30 years old at the time, which I was, I felt like ripe. I didn't have the commitments I do now uh, with my kid and other things. I was free. I had all the time in the world. Uh, I was mature enough and had the discipline. I was disciplined enough to, to run in Oregon, at least I thought. And then I was in Oregon, one of the first states to legalize cannabis for recreational use in the world, let alone the country. Um, I think it was the third state but very much in the early, early, early innings of cannabis like legalization. So I had a first look at this industry. I was standing in line the first hour of legalization with, with rec recreational sales. So was, there I was in a dispensary, first hour of legalization, two blocks from where I live, super excited, excited like most people were. And also like, I can't believe this is real. Like we have grown up for decades, I mean, a century in a world where cannabis is frowned upon, it's illegal, it's just really stuck to the shadows, if you will. Now I'm in a store. It's legal. I can buy it. I can talk about it. I can walk out the door with it, drive with it. It just didn't seem real. So there I was standing in line for star of legalization and the obvious light bulb goes off in my head and it's like online ordering for the cannabis space. It's like a no brainer. The space needs it. We need the education for the consumers. We need the, uh, the conveniences. I'm standing in line. It didn't make sense. We could skip the line. And I thought, geez, like that Malcolm Gladwell book says, like right person, right place, right time. I got more experience in online food ordering than most. I'm in one of the first markets. I have a first look at this industry. I'm at the age I'm ready. I'm, re I'm ready to get back into the driver's seat. I'm itching for it. And I love cannabis. I'm very, I'm, I'm a consumer myself. I see the opportunity. I love the culture, both economic and culturally. It's a very, very mission backed industry. So my stars aligned. That was the impetus for starting Dutchie and quickly called my brother, who's, who's now my co-founder, ran the idea through him. And we both said, all right, let's rock and roll. Let's do this. And, and just a week later, he flew out to Bend and we started drawing on the kitchen table on the back of the napkin like we all do when we start a company. So Awesome. That's an incredible story. I love it. So it sounds like obviously right person, 
but also the timing is so important in uh, in launching these businesses. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've we've heard it before. We we use the term like better lucky than good. I uh, definitely think you need to be both, but lucky uh, is something that I think we find is a consistent thing. Now, I think if we take it a step back, I won't go too deep into this and I'll ramble, so you'll have to stop me. But I do think luck is when hard work meets opportunity. I think that is the definition of luck. I may be wrong. So nobody, if you're listening, don't hold it to me or hold, hold this against me. But I do think that we have the power to manifest our luck in this life if we want. And it's intentional. It's manifestation. So I think luck is when hard work meets opportunity. If you didn't have the mindset and you didn't do the hard work, then you and when that opportunity came, you would not get lucky. So I do think it is a lot of luck. I do think we do create our luck. And it was something that I think in my situation, I did, if I'm objectively looking at what happened. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. You need to be able to recognize the opportunity and seize it when it presents itself. So I think it's um, absolutely right what you just said. I imagine your day-to-day as CEO of Dutchie is quite different than being the CEO of a just a regular e-commerce company or a B2B software company. You've got regulatory environments. You've got a, a company that's scaling so fast. You've got an industry that's changing every minute, ever-changing politics. You've got Snoop Dogg as an investor. So you're not just a, a regular CEO. You're the CEO of Dutchie. Out of curiosity, what are some of the things that you deal with on a daily basis that we just wouldn't expect? Like, what are some of the crazy things you've had to encounter and overcome? Yeah, it's a really good question. You know, there's a lot of similarities. So it's um, same, same, but definitely different, right? So cannabis is, is unique in the sense of how nascent of a space it is, but how fast it's evolving. And then we deal with this regulatory environment that's very fragmented. It's territory by territory. So it's state by state in the United States, it's territory, it's province by province in Canada, and it changes on a dime. So, you know, one example, when COVID hit, Back in roughly call it March, mid-March 2020, when things really came to a head and, and we started to lock down and stay at home, it was a really interesting time. We were, I mean, jump into our shoes. We're an e-commerce company for cannabis at that time. We were in an industry that was deemed essential for starters. And then we were the e-commerce tool, which as everybody knows, for obvious reasons, e-commerce surged overnight when the pandemic hit because nobody was going in store. You were looking for contactless options to purchase things. So when cannabis gets deemed an essential service, but yet everybody's flocking to the e-commerce tool, that was Dutchie. Dutchie was powering at that time about, I want to say about 35, maybe 40% of the industry across all legal geographies in the United States and Canada. And not only do you use e-commerce for the obvious reasons in a pandemic-like, COVID-like environment, but further, like there was many territories, states, provinces that were mandating that you only accept as a retailer online orders and you offer curbside pickup, for example, which at the time we were the only, we were the only e-commerce provider in the cannabis space that had that feature. So our business surged about 700% overnight, literally one night. And I'll never forget it. While we're all as an employee base trying to wrap our mind and digest what just happened in the world, let alone worried about our own personal health and lives and our friends, communities, our families around us. As we all remember, and probably it's like too easy to forget. So if we remember, it wasn't that long ago, a wild time coupled with your business is now surging. It's everything you've ever actually wanted and worked for, but no business is really set up for an unpredictable 
surge like that, 700%, right? I mean, we were, I think, only 100 people at the time. So I'll never forget, we called one thing that happened, which is a crazy uh, example, is in Ontario and Canada, which is uh, a province, a territory that we power the vast majority of clients there, short of what happens is they mandate you have to order online if you're going to order, and you have to pay online. And at the time, we didn't have payment processing. We didn't have a feature that accepted payment online. And as anybody that's done it or knows anything about it knows, it's not an overnight build. It's really complex. And you can't, in our space, just plug into the Stripes or the Braintrees or the other infrastructures, payment infrastructures that are already out there. So we had to really build it or partner with, find a partner or build it from bottoms up. So I'll never forget calling a meeting that night about 10 p.m. when we were faced with this. And by the way, the, the regulation came out on Friday. And the province said, okay, this is going into a, it's Friday. We're letting you know on Monday it goes into effect. You cannot accept an order unless it's online and it's paid for starting Monday. So we literally had the weekend. We called an all hands meeting at 10 p.m. Uh, it was all late for everybody. And we just mobilized the team. We kind of put on the war paint and we said, all right, let's, let's do this. Like we have to. And now the beauty of it is like, we're here to push. We have a, we have a responsibility at Dutchie. We're here for the industry. And we always solve for the customer. We always think for the customer. It's one of our core values. It's all about the customer. And further on top of the customer, it's really about the industry. Our mission is to create safe and easy access to cannabis. And we will do anything and everything we can to back that mission and push it forward. So when this comes up, it's not just this opportunity to do business. It's We need to not only keep this industry up, but allow this industry to push forward and propel in these times. So like the responsibility is really great. Long of a short story, put the war paint on, mobilize the team, all I came together on it, burn the midnight oil times 10. And literally over a period of just a weekend, we launched payments through a partner and some, some infrastructure we had to build on our own. And on Monday, we were accepting orders online. So in the summary is in Canada's, yeah, it is a little different. There's a lot of things that are similar in most tech businesses across the board. I think what we see that's crazy in cannabis is just these regulations that are rapidly evolving, changing on a dime. And then we're the backbone, the infrastructure, the technology that usually is the one that has to make the serious change. And when you do it in tech, you don't want to shortcut, move too fast and break things. At least that's how we believe, how we feel. So getting it right, but doing it fast is just really interesting, fun, but chaotic and difficult to manage. So, you know, in our, in our working relationship, Ross, our focus has been on people, obviously me on the recruiting side and you as CEO looking to bring great people into your company. I've seen you guys scale from a sub 70 person company to now a 500 plus person company. And, you know, I imagine being in the industry you're in, you've had to deal with a lot of preconceived notions about Dutchie. So I'm, I'm wondering, is there any advice you might give other entrepreneurs and leadership teams that are also in, you know, somewhat controversial industries or industries with a lot of regulatory requirements in terms of how you, um, how you bring candidates along, how you recruit people, overturn preconceived notions, and do all of that seamlessly and successfully while also you know, continuing to garner excitement and keep people really pumped up to, to work there? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. There's so much to unpack. I think I look at it in many different ways. And ultimately, it's our competitive advantage. It's what, what we use to our strength. It's not a weakness or a disadvantage. The first and foremost thing is like, we need to articulate what our mission actually is. 
because one would come in thinking it's cannabis, cannabis, cannabis. It's not. There's a bigger picture to the mission. And I think articulating that is really important. So for example, there are many folks on the team that have never touched cannabis and never will. And that is totally fine. But when I start speaking to what our mission is about social justice, about empowering local communities through tax revenue, and I explain how cannabis as, as a platform and it gives us an opportunity to help that. Like, for example, most people just don't understand that when you legalize cannabis in a city, a state, a county, it brings tens, if not hundreds, now starting to see billions of dollars of tax revenue into local communities. That tax revenue is going to help fund schools and hospitals. And if I am on a call with somebody that might never, it's not for cannabis, but here's that, they start to rethink, wait a second, it's not about cannabis. I am for you know empowering local communities, uh, bettering our economies, funding schools and hospitals, or even parks and roads. It's all really important. When we start to look at social justice, the cannabis is, I mean, I'm, I'm very blunt with this, no pun intended. I'm very sh- direct. And I think that the war on drugs was just straight up systemic racism and still is today. It's got awful. And a lot of us don't realize that or understand it fully. And if you really look at it, there's underrepresented minorities that have been and still are today being disproportionately affected by what we call in air quotes, the war on drugs. And if you look at it, I mean, there's a stat today, there's 40,000 plus people today incarcerated for nonviolent cannabis crimes. And many of these people have life sentences while I'm sitting here running a $4 billion company in cannabis talking to you on a podcast. That's painful to think about. So whether you're for cannabis or not, and you hear these type of things, it usually will raise an eyebrow, scratch a head, whatever you want to call it. And you have somebody maybe rethink what cannabis means to them. Because cannabis up until now, we have a big job and responsibility to normalize cannabis. But in order to do that, we need to work on the stigma. We need to work on what was unfortunately built in a lot of propaganda. I mean, we got a lot of unraveling to do here. And it's no individual's fault for having a maybe a preconceived notion. We're all humans. So we respect that. We understand that. And it takes time. Like some people really quickly understand, like hear something and snap too and think differently. Others take time. And that's that's totally, we respect that. We, we want people thinking. I mean, that's really what we want to do at the end of the day is provoke thought and rethink. Um, it's kind of like that Buddhist philosophy that we, I think we've all heard is like looking at things like through the, from a fresh perspective for the first time. And when you start talking about, oh, wow, there are 40,000 people that are incarcerated, vast majority from an underrepresented minority and were profiled and targeted while other people are out creating billions of dollars in value out of the same industry and celebrating on, for example, 420, which is one of the most celebrated holidays now, arguably in the country or world, like it's just wrong. So that like what you said is really important. And we do deal with it all the time. But if we articulate our mission and the why behind our mission in the right way, it, it starts to rethink. And then the last thing I'll say is you don't want somebody at your company if they don't believe in the mission. The mission is the longevity. It's the stamina. It allows you to get through the tough parts, the chaos, which is inevitable. It doesn't matter if you're a, you know, a, a large, large, a, a Google, an Amazon, a Facebook, day one startup. No matter where you are in business, you're gonna, it's going to be chaotic. You're going to deal with a lot of tough situations, both culturally with the team, externally with the customer base, across the board. And it's that mission that keeps you going forward. It's, it's a, a great analogy is if you're climbing Everest, your mission 
you're usually backed in your mission. So when the snowstorm comes, or if unfortunately your hiking buddy passes, or you make the wrong move, you stick to the mission, which is deeper than just getting to the top. So the cannabis is like, yeah, I just want to summit Everest. But if you really sit down with these people that have climbed Everest, and I'm talking like I have, I haven't, but I would imagine these people would say, no, 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 it's way bigger than just getting to the top of Everest. There is tens of decades of years, or maybe even generational of thoughts, of values, of feelings, of emotions that get into the why I want to climb Everest. So yes, we want to create safe and easy access to cannabis. That's our mission. But the why behind that is really deep. And it goes into health and wellness benefits. It goes into social justice. It goes into empowering local communities. When you hear some of these stories from a health and wellness standpoint of children that are um, having to fear their life, parents that are trying to manage it, and the pain that they're dealing with, whether it's something like cancer or whether it's epilepsy, which is happening, unfortunately, at greater clip as we go on. And then there's cannabis that can help cure or ease that. It's hard to ignore it. So the last thing I'll say, and I know I'm rambling here, but you want the right person that's there not to climb Everest to get a photo at the top and to stroke the ego. You want the person that's there because of the right mission. So articulating that mission correctly and making sure that you get buy-in there is really important. Unlike the people that are high performers, they have the perfect experience for it. They're going to do great. But if they're not there for the mission, I would question if some of the missiles or rocks that we get thrown, get hit with along the way, take them out or not. And it's the mission that keeps them going. So That's great. Thank you for taking me through that. I, I will say something that I've also always admired about you. And I think part of what makes you such a great executive recruiter, and I'm sure, you know, recruiter at all levels is that um, you're patient. And when you talk to candidates, who oftentimes are coming in with preconceived notions about the space or skepticism. Um, I've seen you be really patient with them and actually have no problem kind of walking them through the industry, the regulatory requirements, all of the stuff that validates what you're doing in a way that's unassuming, unapologetic, but also not like too aggressive. So I, I think that's that's awesome to see from a founder and CEO and actually something that I, um, I use it as, as an example to other CEOs. And then um, you're also, I think, a great listener because in doing that, you, un you can kind of unpack what a candidate's motivators are. Do they care about the wellness angle? Are they really inspired to you know, do their part to stop the war on drugs and systemic racism? So I just want to applaud you. I think you're excellent at doing all of that. And um, it's rare, but I think you do a great job at that. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll say, hearing that, I appreciate it. It's the area that I want to get better at. It's it's one of the areas I want to get better at and need to. I have a tendency, and I'd imagine a lot of CEOs, if not all, you're very passionate about your business. You're in like innate default sell mode, just naturally. You can't help it because you fully believe in it. You are very genuine. So what I found I need to, to work on is stop selling and pitching the business, do more listening than talking. You know, like we're good at our jobs or else we wouldn't be here. And you don't want to sell the candidate necessarily, at least up front. You really want to make sure that you're letting them make the right decision. You're making the right decision without that bias. So uh, it, it's a good point that you bring up in an area that I, I recognize, but see room for improvement. And I would imagine everybody could reflect on that and think, wow, when I'm in a, I mean, I've gotten into some executive been funny. Like I've sat in interviews and I'm like, geez, I just took that like I was pitching a client and I need to step back and really find out who this person is, if they want to join, if they feel this is the right company for them and make that equal assessment on them. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really good call out. Switching gears a little bit. I know you've worked very closely with VC firms, investors, most recently in your series D financing round. 
what was that process like? I, are you dealing with the same preconceived notions from investors? Are they generally a little bit more educated on the space and are making targeted investments? Or I guess, what, what wouldn't we know about that process? Yeah. So, you know, it really depends on the investor. There are a lot of investors we speak through with, uh, that we've spoken to in the process that do have a lot of questions, rightfully so, around cannabis, the regulations. And that's totally fine. There are another group of investors. We're fortunate to have a great group of investors that have followed on round after round with us and been along the journey for more, for more than just the most recent round. Um, so they're very educated on who we are, why we're doing what we're doing, how well, how well we're doing, and the industry. I find that uh, we, we want the right investor base. Everybody does. Um, we want diversity in thoughts. We want people that are, in our case, operators to cannabis-specific investors to industry agnostic, stage agnostic investors to get different perspectives. Diversity of thoughts really important to us. People that have seen all stages um, and all industries, great companies, as well as failures and, and, and learning lessons from that. With us, you know, I find with the investors that are on the current cap table, meaning the investors that have said yes and have participated, it wasn't as much about coming up the curve on cannabis. I think that a lot of them are pretty bullish on cannabis. It's just there's proof in the numbers. And, you know, it's growing at 35% plus compounding annual growth rate, one of the fastest growing segments of the economy. It's very, very mission backed. It does have the option to, uh, or a possibility of making the world a much better place. Multifaceted. I went into that mission before. All of our investors on our current cap table are there. They're more able to really dive into the business model, size up the TAM, our team, our approach, uh, our traction up to up, up to this time. And then... And, really be able to assess if they're, if it's a right investment for them. Um, but to your point, yeah, a, a little bit of the same stuff, but we typically have found whether it's correlated or not, the folks that are not are slower to come up the curve on the cannabis side don't tend to be as generally bought in into the mission as the others that fully understand it. Ask questions for sure, right? Like we're the subject matter expert. Let's, let's definitely get into it. But they're just quicker, I think, to come up the cannabis curve than the others. Sure. Makes sense. So let's talk about the future for a second. I know that you and I, we've had a lot of interesting discussions that have been, quite frankly, some of my favorite chats with you around vertical software and where the industry is going. Maybe you could share with everyone else, kind of what's your perspective on verticalization? And is that where we're going to continue to see the most innovation happen? And I guess second part or follow up to that, how much verticalization do you think we're going to see in the cannabis industry? Yeah, so this is a really uh, passionate topic of mine, um, as you as you know. Uh, so horizontal versus vertical, what's the deal? So one, I'll say, first of all, who am I? Uh, I'm just a person uh, with an opinion, not based in fact or anything else. So take everything with a grain of salt. But my opinion, because I am opinionated, is they're both, and I'm not deflecting or being fluffy, they're both great models, they're both great businesses. It's impossible to argue. You have companies like Square, Shopify, Horizontal, that have built, um, there's a hard to put words into uh, these companies. They're so great. Uh, we're inspired by them. We admire them. We learn from them. They're just built. The It shows from the candidates that have come from those companies to the candidates we've talked to that we have not been able to recruit to just watching these companies build over time, such generational businesses that create such value um, to both shareholder as well as the customer base, as well as the global economy. So horizontal is great. Um, I also think vertical is great. So both are phenomenal. Now, both need, will live on, I believe, forever. I don't think it's one or the other. And I think both have their strengths and weaknesses. Horizontal has the ability 
from a back of the napkin TAM size typically to be far, far, far greater. I think that goes without question. And that's pretty obvious. So they have a far bigger TAM um, and they're able you know, to, to, to build up a business, I think at a different scale, so to speak, where vertical, obviously it's smaller TAM, it's more focused. Now the strength of vertical though, is vertical can get, again, because it's more focused, catered to, it's more purpose-built. Right, so it's 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 like a company is a great example is Toast. Uh, that's a, a restaurant. It's a cloud-based, all-in-one technology platform for the restaurant space. Started as point of sale, payments, does e-commerce, and so much more. And that's very much near identical to our model. Same as Shopify and Square, but just focused on a vertical, the restaurant space. And if you put vertical up next to horizontal for that specific customer, so in this case, if we're talking Toast, Toast for Square for a restaurant, happy to say it. Don't don't uh, peg me if you don't like my answer. I'll go toast ten over ten times over, like all day, um, because it's very much built for restaurants with restaurants in mind. They're only focused on restaurants. They can get into the nitty gritty of what a restaurant feels that maybe a boutique that's selling clothing does not. Whereas Square is focused on all. So there's no right or wrong. They're both great businesses. The TAM and the the upside, I think, of the big opportunity is bigger and horizontal. But I think the value creation, the the focus, I really, really appreciate. And I would take vertical over horizontal if I was going kind of one-to-one from a competitive standpoint. And, you know, with Dutchie, it's a vertical play. We want to be all things cannabis. We want to really understand cannabis and solve for the needs of our customers. And with us, like some of the things that we're able to do, we're able to better streamline the industry because we're focused, because we're vertical. So... Dutchie has the ability right now where we're focused is not just point of sale e-commerce and payments. We're going further down the stack. Let's do cultivation, manufacturing, and distribution. Because we're noticing that like this is a very complex space with a very, very complex and difficult supply chain. There's many steps along the way. I mean, first you put a seed in the ground, that's cultivation, a lot of manufacturing along the way, distribution, finally gets to the retailer, and then eventually to the consumer. If we can work on an operating system that the cultivator, the manufacturer, the distributor, the retailer, and the consumer can use, and then we can close the loop, we can really streamline and make this process very efficient. Whereas if you look at a horizontal player, they're usually not able to focus that deep on a specific industry. I do think that the future lies in a hybrid model. And this is where things get a little bit creative. I do think that people are starting to realize the power of vertical, but the leverage of horizontal. And I think if you could combine the two, it's a perfect world. Not easy to do, but think of a world where there is, because let me stop for a second there and say, or go back and say, there's a lot of synergies and again, leverage and power that you have economies at scale when you go horizontal. Payments is a great example. Loyalty is a great example. Those are very much similar products, no matter what industry you're at. How we are looking at loyalty in cannabis is similar to how restaurants look at loyalty, which could be the same as a clothing store looks at loyalty and so on and so forth. Coffee, bakery, you name it, grocery. So you could share in on that, see economies at scale, uh, get volume discounts, and really leverage that across many different verticals. Whereas then product specific, you can get down vertical. So I think that there's a world to to get to the end of this, where we move into a hybrid um, setting where you have a horizontal company, call it a square, whatever, Shopify, that starts to own verticals, but have a different product for each vertical that shares in on synergies at the top. So it would be like a toast and restaurant, a duchy and cannabis, but maybe they're part of a similar umbrella. And I think that that's a a really interesting way to look. I think that there's been a lot of proof 
in the vertical players starting to fend off their space from the horizontal players or starting to win over market share. And that restaurant space is a perfect example. So it's going to be exciting to see. It's definitely a really fun topic to explore. I'm very passionate. I'm a vertical player and always will be. I really love the intimacy of understanding our customer base, our consumers, the like, everything in between, really focusing in on it and being able to really solve their problems and help their businesses grow. And I find with a horizontal approach, just for me, again, I think it's a great business. Hats off to the people that are, are running those businesses and succeeding. It's just a bit more difficult in my mind to focus in on those needs of the customers, which is ultimately what we're after. I see your point. I, I like spending a lot of my time in vertical software as well. And I feel like you just have a much greater opportunity to get to know your end user, your consumer, your buyer um, in a way that really caters to solving their specific problems and making their workflow more seamless and their lives better. So last question for you. You know, tech's a young game and I have watched you grow so effortlessly to this position. You're the CEO of a 500 plus person company that's growing rapidly. But I also know, you know, being CEO, it's lonely at the top. And you've had the good fortune of, you know, now founding two companies, one at a very young age. And I guess, you know, hindsight's always 2020, but with all the experience you've had, any advice or any tidbits you would tell other first-time founders who are kind of doing it for the first time or um, even other you know, young executives in the tech world that might have a bit of imposter syndrome? Like, What's something you kind of wish you knew back in the day? Yeah, so there's so much here. Imposter syndrome is real. Everybody has it. Um, I have it. You have it. Everybody has it. So like, that's a thing to recognize and not feel like you're alone on that. You're not unique for having that. Everybody does. We are human. I think that, you know, there's two things that I would like to say on this. Um, the first is having the right foundation. So it is super lonely at the top. It will never be fully understood and it doesn't need to be. It's asking somebody to understand something that they're not dealing with. It's very difficult to do that. So I went through a phase in my business career a long time ago of like wanting others to understand that and to come to the realization that that's wrong and never going to necessarily happen and don't depend on that. So I think that like, yes, it is lonely at the top. You deal with a lot of very difficult situations. I'll give you an example. I found out two minutes before the most important all hands of my entire life after acquiring a company that I got literally two minutes before all hands started, supposed to be a really hype all hands welcoming a new team on. We just acquired a couple hundred people on the call. Two minutes before I get a call from a doctor telling me that my dog has cancer and he's going to die. A tear falls down my cheek. I weirdly said thank you to the doctor, not knowing why I said that. I said, and I said, I got to go. I hung up the phone. I let the tear fall on my desk. I literally wiped my face, no joke, slapped my cheek, took a very deep breath, and then welcomed a couple hundred people to the company in like, hoorah, let's fucking go fashion, excuse my language, and had to rock it for an hour to write, hit end on the call and just pure excitement, 10 out, 12 out of 10, good to go right back to a tear dropping down my, my eye and going straight home to give my wife like a big hug and a kiss and a, I'll try and hold it in right now. Uh, so it's, it, there's crazy things that happen. And I think that, and there's no way to escape that. So for one, sign up for it. Don't think that you're going to avoid it. You're not. Going back to the analogy of climbing Everest, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be bodies on the side of the road along the way. There's just no way around it. There's setbacks, it's chaos, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So A, sign up for it. 
What I've found is the most important thing for me is to have the, there's two things. One, the foundation. So what I mean there is my family and my friends. And very much in my case, it's my wife. And it's my, my parents, actually. I lean on them more than anybody knows. They're the ones I go, my wife's the one I go home to every single day. And it's not easy when I go home and I had a really, really rough day or I'm dealing with a really rough situation. And having that cushion, that foundation, that there is like everything. It means the world. They remind you why you're doing what you're doing. They remind you that you're the right person to do it. They walk you through it. They, they know you better than anybody does. So it's leaning on that foundation, that family, that friend, that community that you've built, whatever that looks like. That could be your neighbor. That could be, I don't know who that is, but it's really relying on that. I, I just had a conversation with somebody that I actually just recently met and I had one of the most, uh, it was just a profound conversation that I really, I really loved. And weirdly, we were talking, it sounds weird, but it, it makes sense in context, but we were talking about trees uh, and his business is named after, it has a tree, is the word tree in the, in the name and in the meaning. And I have a big tree. Uh, photo behind my desk here. So we started talking about it. And where we went to is a really cool thing about how this is totally like a little out there and woo-woo, so bear with me, but I thought it was fun and I'll share it with you because it's what comes to mind. When you look at the leaves of a tree and what's above the surface, we forget that the roots below are just as equally as big and, and more important. We look at a, like, so the foundation is just as big and the bigger the roots, the bigger the foundation, the bigger you can go. So that was the start of the conversation. We then talked about volatility and risk-taking and then security. And it's kind of like, one, they're very correlated. If you have a, a strong foundation, then you're able to take risks with the business. You're able to hit the volatility, the chaos, and be okay. You can't have it on both sides. I went into this whole spiel when I was talking to him about like, for me, the most important thing about business is making sure that I'm good at home. So when I come to the office, like I really want to be good with my family, with my wife, my kid, my family around me. Because if I come to work and I'm not, if we're not in a good space, it's going to weigh on me. I'm not going to be able to execute. I'm not going to be able to think clearly. I'm not going to be able to make decisions. That's just who I am. Some people can block it out. I can't. I'm emotional. I'm sensitive. That's who I am. I'm not going to change. I just can't. That's just, and I value that that's who I am. So for me, it's that foundation. It's getting it strong. And if I have strength and security in the foundation, then I can go to work and take the risks and deal with the cast and the volatility that innately inevitably comes. There is a lot to be said about that. Um, and you know, like where we went as far as it's like, you know, I said, you know, it's really interesting when you see like a leaf that's dying, it usually is a problem with the roots or it's like way further down in the, in the tree. So when we look at a company, it's the same weird philosophy. There's a correlation. At least I'm drawing it. Whether I'm right or wrong or took this out of context or not, it's still fun. So it literally all comes back to that foundation, who you are, why you are, who you are, who's your support network, and leaning on that and making sure to take care of that. Don't overlook that because that then weighs on everything else. And we're, we need to take risks in our business. We are going to get hit with curveballs. But if we can rely on that backbone, that foundation, those roots, then it's a lot easier to manage that. The last thing I'll say, that was the first, said I was going to say two things, is the team around you. There's no I in team, team over individual. There's nobody individually in this world that can accomplish all this stuff. I don't care who, who they are, who you are, whatever. I've been fortunate to be able to craft a team around me that has just made me such a better leader, a better person, taught me so much, calls me out when I'm wrong. And there's just so much there. And, you know, so yeah, it is lonely at the top. And there is usually only one, maybe two CEOs. 
but usually one. However, that doesn't mean you have to bear the entire burden and you lean on your individuals. If it's an HR thing or if you have a chief people officer, VP of people, we have both here and I, we, you couldn't do my job without them. And that's just not meant, I'm leaving a lot of people off the table, but it just goes on and on with each department. You just lean on the team that you've created around you. It's a lot of collaborative, collective thoughts, and it's not just you. And then when it is just you, because sometimes it is, you got your foundation to crawl back there to kind of walk back to and remind you and and just put things into perspective. So uh, it's a good question though, and it's definitely sign up for it and then set yourself up for success with the team around you and the foundation you have. I love that. Thanks, Ross. I think everything you said was incredibly insightful. I think, you know, signing up for it and acknowledging it's okay to have the imposter syndrome and there are going to be crazy days and it's very volatile and it's important to have your support system. Like that all totally resonates with me and I think will with others too. So uh, beautifully said. This was an incredible conversation, Ross. As always, it was fun, engaging. I love your perspective and just your realness. Thank you so much for uh, jumping on this with me today. And it was great chatting with you. Thank you for having me. This has been a really fun conversation. Looking forward to listening to you guys continue on this. And I just, shameless plug again, thank you, Diversa. You guys are awesome. Uh, We've brought such great talent on the team. You've taught us so much about tech, the world out there, what's happening in the current market. So we really, really appreciate the partnership and looking forward to continuing on with you guys. Oh, we do too. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Dare to be Legendary, brought to you by Diversa Partners. Don't forget to subscribe, share with friends, and leave us a review. Thanks again, and stay tuned for our next episode.